Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 79 a day late delivered to you because, uh, as Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, speaking right now, I made the executive decision that we had to wait to make sure that we could take in that New York Knicks-Milwaukee Bucks game to make sure that we give you the proper amount of takeage. And thankfully, I have Raleigh Feldman and Kyle Carr here to deliver said takeage. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing pretty good. I'm just here to hear what Kyle has to say. Kyle, how are you doing? I mean, it's been a good holiday so far. Um, the child turned one. That was fun. Um, I'm off of work all of this week. That's pretty cool. We're just not going to talk about the next game yet. And, um, you know, out of three games, I should have expected Buck Switter to be in the state that it's in. I probably would have put the over if he had said three games. But we are three games in. And takes are flying. Takes are flying indeed. Kyle in his real life is undefeated, but the Bucks, of course, are not. They are below 500, one and two after a difficult start to the season. Of course, we saw something similar last year where the Bucks got out to a two and two start, but they were above 500 in those couple attempts. So they did have that going for them. But the first game of the season happened last week, of course. Bucks lose to the Boston Celtics, 122-121. to 121. Giannis has 35 points, 13 rebounds, 2 assists. Chris looks good with 27 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists, near triple-double for him. Drew Holiday gets 25 points. Only 12 bench points for the Bucks in that one. That was obviously a stat that stood out afterwards. Bucks were carried by their big three in that one. But, of course, as we get to the end, Jason Tatum banks home a three ridiculously lucky shot, but you know, good for him. Happy he can celebrate or whatever. And then Giannis, of course, at the free throw line with an opportunity to tie it. I think we all kind of knew how that was going to turn out. uh, And it wound up that he missed the free throw. So tough luck for him. Hopefully good experience for him to learn from, but you know, all in all, I think if, even if he got roasted nationally, I think a lot of local people were just like, well, he's definitely not the person I want the free throw line. But anyway, very narrow loss in that first one, Riley, to open up the season. Anything stick out to you from that way, that game? 
Yeah, I think so. We only have three game sample size, so it's not going to be like a we can draw a lot of conclusions from the very first game. But things that jump out right away, uh, the big three, Giannis, Chris, and Drew, all had really good games production-wise. Probably more importantly, they had a lot of minutes. Like, I don't know, I would never have guessed that, you know, Giannis, Chris would have gotten 38 minutes, Drew 38 minutes, Giannis 36 minutes. Um, part of that might be because of the shallowness of our of our bench, but um, even at times in the past where we were somewhat shallow, those guys would not log those sorts of minutes. So that was like, it, initially, they produced a lot. They had a lot of minutes, really great. Uh, we'll talk more about it, but the bench, uh, which was a recurring theme in game number three against the Knicks as well, not excellent. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's just a strange situation where we knew they were going to come out a little flat just because everybody's figuring out their place. And I don't know how much of it to credit to Boston or just simply like not making shots slash not having that many possessions to work with since the bench didn't have a lot of minutes because the starters played a lot of heavy minutes. But um, I don't know. I, I didn't come out of that game thinking it was a disaster. You end up coming from behind. You're able to get very close to a win. Giannis at the line. He doesn't you know, convert it. It is what it is. Very first game of the season. And so coming out of that one, you're like, it, it sucks that you lost, but it was like a Tatum, you know, not luck shot, but a garbage shot that goes in. And you're like, okay, well, you know, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles when you have 72 or 82 games of the season. So I thought there was promising signs just because the, the main theme through line throughout the season is what is Drew Holiday going to be able to do alongside Chris and Giannis? And in the very first game of the season, those three guys came to play, which is encouraging the very first game out of 72. Yeah. And I think one of the things for that game was the, I mean, obviously the bench not showing up hurt Milwaukee. I think they got out. I think they only had like 12 points. Meanwhile, Boston's bench had 34. Uh, Milwaukee did not get to the free throw line as much as I would have expected. You know, they only, they didn't take that many free throws, which I think is also shocking considering the offense that they played. They only took, 18 of them and made 15. So, you know, when they were at the line, other than Giannis missing that one at the end, they shot at the free throw line pretty well. And, you know, when you think of guys like Dante, when you think of someone like even DJ Wilson or Pat Connaughton, well, maybe not Pat Connaughton, but when you think of like DJ Wilson, when you think of Giannis or Dante, you would expect them to get to the line more. And that did not happen. So only taking 18 free throws um, was a little, little bit low. And the Celtics only took 11, which also, again, really low free throws for both teams. So maybe that was more just the rest letting them play. But I think there were some things that you could at least take some promising signs. It looked like Dante. Dante was off to a really good start. So whatever concerns he had that first preseason game against Dallas, that went away by that first game. I think Milwaukee able to get the points in the paint was key. That was a lot very helpful in their comeback. It was pretty much just you know, two bad quarters from the Bucks is really what did them in. You know, they dug themselves in a bad hole going into the third in the third quarter. And it's good that they were able to make that comeback and start clawing their way back in the fourth. But, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, if you do a little bit better in this third quarter, you don't put yourself in that position. So it wasn't ideal. You don't want to lose to the Celtics. You don't want to lose on a shot like that. You don't want to lose when, you know, Giannis misses a free throw to tie it. But... There were, at least you could look and say, you know, Dante looked good. Drew Holiday was good in his debut. And considering Milwaukee didn't have a second point guard, they managed as well as they probably could have. Yeah, good point. DJ Augustine was out for that one. 
was able to come back for the other games. Drew Holiday looking good, I agree, is just a huge a huge point, especially against the Celtics, given what we got to watch the last couple of years with Eric Bledsoe. Basically, any time he faced the Celtics, that was that was the story. How was he going to perform against Boston? And especially these last two years, the Boston-Milwaukee games have been incredibly close. They seem like they're always coming down to the wire. So at least in the opening, especially after, I would say, a pretty lackluster preseason, uh, it, it was nice to see the Bucks go out and acquit themselves well, even against a Boston team that was able to shoot 45% from three, going 18 of 40 on the night. And we'll definitely talk about the three-point shooting later, but a team that did not shoot the three ball very well at all was the Golden State Warriors in the Bucks' Christmas Day game, an absolute drubbing, 138 to 99. Giannis only scores 15 points, 13 rebounds. Middleton has a really cool 31. Drew Holiday, 12. Dante, 13. 59, an outrageous 59 bench points for that one. A lot of that also came in garbage time, but that was crazy. <laughs> Warriors shoot just 10 of 45 from deep, so 22.2%. An absolutely crazy number, an outlier to be sure. Kyle, is there is there anything to take away from that game? Golden State is not that good without <laughs> and Draymond. Um, that's oh, yeah. sign number one. Um, they definitely, defensively, they were just torn apart by Milwaukee's offense. I think Chris Middleton getting going was huge, but I feel like it's really tough to take much from this game. Even if Steph Curry shoots better than he did two of 10, I don't think Golden State wins that game when you're missing Klay Thompson and Draymond wasn't playing. James Wiseman looked solid, you know, especially early on. He looked like he could be a good piece for Golden State moving forward. But when Andrew Wiggins is supposedly your second best player, you're not going to do well. The thing that jumped out at the entire time I was watching this game was it was mesmerizing watching Drew Holiday on both ends of the floor. I thought this was, while the production numbers-wise wasn't as flashy as the first game, um, and obviously the next game was a disaster for everybody, but like in this one especially, it was so much fun watching him hassle Curry the entire evening. Like I think Boonholzer made it a point to whenever Curry went off, the court, there was a couple of minutes where Drew was out there, but most of the time, whenever Curry got the call off the bench, Drew was immediately up there as well. Um, there were so many times where he just hassles him. I know Curry gets targeted by a lot of guys just because he's a bit smaller, but like Drew Holiday, just by the simple fact of he does not give a guy a free path of movement. And what does Steph Curry thrive off of, right? It's like moving off ball with other defenders, other guys to set him screens to get him open and then making something happen. Or if he's on ball as well, he's, you know, he's deadly in either way. But there were so many possessions where Drew would just crowd him and even just like the act of crowding him would knock Curry off, either knock him over completely just because of the like body leverage or knock him off his game so that he couldn't get to his open spot and take a three without having to right there. And so that was just a little bit of a taste of when you have an elite point guard for the other team. Yes, Drew is a bit bigger. Um, maybe he isn't as adept at blowing up a pick and roll at the point of attack as like Eric Bledsoe, for example, but there's so much more of like an overall experience, especially if he is tasked is to simply guard that one guy. And in this situation with one of the best guards in the entire league, he did it with flying colors. And there was even on the offensive end, again, again, another couple of like nice stop start, like stutter movements. A lot of, he had a really great pass underneath the basket. No look with his left hand out to Dante from three, which was, that was such a, Super fun, fun play. And I, I think the fact that Dante was shooting really well from three as well to start the game, I was like, wow, this is everything's going our way. And so it ended up being a drubbing. 
Um, like Kyle said, the biggest takeaway was that Golden State is going to be god awful, but there were even in the non god awful or like somewhat competitive minutes, there was a lot from Drew Holiday in particular that was like, this is this is exactly what you hope to see. Now let's see what he's able to do within like a team concept if the other team doesn't necessarily have that dominant point guard in the way that the Warriors do. The interesting thing about this one was, at least for the first half, even while the Warriors were shooting horrifically, Bucks still couldn't quite pull away uh, and get a get a huge lead. In the third quarter, they finally started to. Chris Middleton hit a couple hit a couple three pointers that he as he had been all game, and then got a nice little spark from DJ Augustine, who I think showed in his first game in a Bucks uniform showed what he he's able to bring when he's knocking the ball down. A couple nice just pull up three pointers uh, off a of pick and roll, like. That's pretty nice to see. That's what you want to see out of DJ Augustine. Um, you know, he wasn't as much of a playmaker in that game, but you want someone who's able to knock those down. And I mean, the performance of the bench from three, Bobby Portis aside, who went zero for three, I mean, speaks for itself. I mean, you you kind of had a Nixian effort in, in DJ Wilson going three for three. Um, you know, that that's not going to happen every game, folks, just, to, just as a heads up. May, may not happen again. Uh, we have a, a perfect three for three <laughs> performance from Wilson from three. So stay tuned on that. So anyway, uh, another huge game, as I said, as we said, we'll get, we'll get to the through lines from this week. Cause that's probably where the more interesting stuff is. This game was just an absolute beat down. And then of course we, we capped it all off with the, the wonderful 130 to 110 defeat by the New York Knicks, uh, Pretty embarrassing performance from start to finish for the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis has 27 points, his 13 rebounds. Pretty quiet, pretty empty, 27 points, 13 rebounds. Chris, uh, just one of six from deep in that one, had 22 points. Otherwise, his stat line probably looks a little better. Bobby Portis had 17 points, but it really felt like four. Uh, I, I, so <laughs> just a heads up when you look at that. It's not, it's not what it seems. The Knicks... Don't shoot many threes, shot 27. Thibodeau special, good work on him. Don't shoot threes. But they hit 16 of them, so 59.3% from deep. An absolutely crazy night, while the Bucks shoot just 7 of 38 from three, 18.4%. Pretty horrific on both ends. Kyle, this game, it's, it's easy to get riled up about this game. Should also remember it's just one game, but, but how were you feeling after this this difficult loss? frustrated because it's the goddamn Knicks and they're not good. It's, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I was bothered with is everyone immediately going to outlier shooting. And while yes, you can look at the three point shooting and see what the two teams and real and say outlier shooting. I had tweeted it. It's one thing when it's an outlier shooting. It's another thing when we continuously keep saying that after every bucks loss and every bad performance, it doesn't become an outlier. If it's that frequent, and the biggest reason for that is on the Bucks side, we can call this one an outlier. That's fine. They had 25 wide open threes and 12 open ones, according to the Dean Maniat and all the Bucks. So out of the, what, 38 threes that Milwaukee took, 37 of them were at least open. They were 7 of 37. Fine. We can go with that one. That's fine. Brooke Lopez had a few in the corner he missed. Drew Holiday had one that, you know, rimmed in and out. Guys had – Chris Middleton was one for six. So – that one I can say fine. That's outlier because good shoot. Those are good shooters in good spots that were wide open that just didn't go in. That's okay. We can live with that. You know, it wasn't it's not like Giannis was the one taking the majority of these threes, and that's why the number is so bad. Pat Connaughton, yeah, he struggled. We're just not going to go. He was he just couldn't hit a shot. But 
it was more on the defensive side where in that same tweet that Dean had, New York took 24 threes that were considered open. They made 15 of them. That's more of an issue systematic-wise. That is more the issue I have when everyone's saying outlier shooting night because if the other team is taking 24 open threes, that's not good, period. And, like, end of story. Like, that's the issue I'm having is when a team is going 15 of 24 that are open threes because that at least tells me there's an issue with the system. That tells me why are these guys wide open. And, sure, some of them are above the break threes. Some of them are guys that you are comfortable letting shoot open threes, but it's still open threes that you're allowing. That was my issue when I said, you know, it's not outlier shooting because – it's not outlier if they're wide freaking open. It's outlier if you're contesting the shots and they make it. You know, when the Knicks were getting shots at the rim and mid-range shots, then we can start calling that outlier. Then I'll consider it. But when it's wide open threes, that's not outlier. That's just a bad defensive performance from Milwaukee. And I think that's what people need to look at. It's not just they were hot. They're hot because they're wide open. And if you're going to be wide open, you're going to have a better chance of hitting the shots. Like, that's just common sense to me. I don't. That's just what I feel like. We can also go after Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton was that good. Pat Connaughton's minutes could probably go to Jordan Wara or Sam Merrill or, you know, Torrey Craig before he got hurt. We can talk about Pat Connaughton. We can talk about, you know, Milwaukee's lack of being able to hit shots. At least in the second half, they were able to get more points in the paint, and that was a good change for Milwaukee is when they realized they couldn't hit the shots, they were attacking the rim relentlessly because they realized they were able to go in, go in and get those easier baskets. I think at halftime, someone said Pat Connaughton was the only buck that had a plus minus in the positive. Well, he ended up with minus six at the end. So plus minus doesn't mean a damn thing. So don't tweet at me, oh, they have a good plus minus, because plus minus doesn't tell the whole story. It only tells maybe one eighth of the story overall. It, it was just a bad performance from everyone in the Bucks. DJ Augustine, 0 for 6. He doesn't really do anything. Bryn Forbes, 0 for 4 from the field. He doesn't play. He plays 17 minutes. That doesn't help. Bobby Portis, again, he had. 17 points, but it only felt like he had four of them. And, you know, Dante looked fine at moments, but he it's just everyone played really, really bad. But the thing I wanted to highlight is it's not an outlier shooting if the guy is constantly – if the Knicks are constantly taking open shots and making it. I don't call it outlier. I call that a bad defensive performance. You guys would probably know better than I do just because I don't watch, like – I'm very bad. I just watch wherever the ball is because I'm a bad basketball fan. So I don't like watch the rest of the defense. But does it seem like for whatever reason that this defensive system for all its faults, to me, I almost wonder if guys continue to like overhelp because that was like a through line that I remember at the end of last season, sort of in the bubble as well was, you know, the idea is three of the guys stick to their guys on the perimeter whoever's guarding the guy with the ball, usually like one of the guards, he sticks to him. If you, you either try to attack him at, if there's like a pick and roll or something, um, or you try to shade behind him, you deny like the ability to pick and pop, you funnel them into Brooke Lopez or, you know, last year it was Robin Lopez and then let them do the heavy lifting. For whatever reason, it feels like you'll see the guard, follow the guard. You'll see Brooke in his position. Like, okay, everything's good to go there. But I don't know if it's a discipline issue of everybody else on the floor, but like there are other guys who are hedging in. There are guys, I don't know if it's like just a force of habit from other systems or what the deal is, but I wonder how much of it is other teams expecting the way the Bucks are going to play. And so the, the ball handler knowing to kick it out almost immediately every time. 
and then our guys being too indisciplined to stay home essentially like at what and adam i don't know like or kyle even have you seen similar or in this particular game a lot of the open threes that i noticed were guys over helping and i think fox sports wisconsin's you know crew they talked about that at like they showed highlighted a play where Drew was guarding the point guard. Drew had it under control. Giannis was right there in the paint. Dante tried creeping in to like kind of hedge and help out, but then that left him, left his guy open for three. So that was one example. I don't know how much of it was helping out. Sometimes it was off of offensive rebounds. Sometimes it was just Knicks had really good ball movement. So it was kind of a variety. I don't know if it was just over helping. I think, like I said, this was a bad defensive performance. So it's not easy to highlight just one thing when everything went wrong. I think there's a I think there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things I'm I'm trying to watch with this with this team this year. Um, one, I do think there is a little bit of overhelp. I I I have not noticed it to the degree that I felt like it was in the bubble. That felt like it was pretty egregious. But yeah. uh, on that Dante play in particular, I think one of the things that their guards are doing is when they're running the pick and roll at an elbow, and the point guard is is going around and sort of moving to like the top of the key and slowly working their way in. So basically on Drew to get around that or whoever the point guard person is and and try and stop them. And the guard on the weak side is kind of like digging in a little, trying to maybe get a paw in there, disrupt the ball handler a little. And I think they're doing that a little too aggressively, uh, potentially, which can lead to such an easy, they kick it out to the guy at the elbow. And then that person might have have an easier look at a three if they don't get back in time, or they kick it to the person in the corner or they drive, and then all of a sudden the defense has to start and scramble, start to scramble. Another thing I feel like I've noticed, and I, I don't know how to track this, so maybe my anecdotal watching is wrong, but I feel like I feel like these some of these point guards and people on on the on the weak side, um, like Gian, let's Giannis for example, Giannis is baseline. We have him kind of as the weak side helper. I don't feel like they're doing a very good job at all of helping out at the rim as a weak side defender. I don't think they're tagging the role guy very well at all. It seems like point guards who are even semi-adept are able to kind of manipulate the defenses, get Brooke in his spot, and Brooke could potentially stop them from shooting the floater or whatever. But if they don't make the floater, they have the role man going backside for an alley-oop. And it seems like that has been open a lot this year. And you don't have Giannis there to defend it. And theoretically, that's what Giannis should be doing because he can guard the rim. And then even if even if somehow that point guard kicks it out to the guy in the corner, which obviously we don't want. Giannis is by like the number one person you want to be able to recover that to that person in the corner. He is, he is the absolute best person you want to be doing that. And then that also frees up the guy who's on the elbow, you know, Dante or whoever to not feel like they have to dig in as far and not allow someone to kick it out. So I don't know. Those are two things I feel like I've been seeing. I haven't, you know, I, I would need to watch the games a lot closer to confirm if that's all true. But that those are just a few things that I feel like I, I've been seeing and they've struggled with. And if that's the case, I think, you know, it's not like that's a good bill of health necessarily. Like you'd rather just not be running into issues. However, those things feel relatively fixable from like either a discipline or a positioning or just, and again, part of it is going to be the issue of these guys are mostly learning how this thing works somewhat on the fly for a lot of the bench. Um, but guys like Dante, they should know what the deal is. Guys like Brooke, obviously, he has a relatively limited role. Like, he knows what the deal is. Giannis, as well, should be the same. So I, I guess, you know, as disappointing and as standout as the Knicks game was as an example of, 
a really egregious breakdown and them just also hitting like Frank Nielakina hitting all four of his threes. <laughs> Much like DJ Wilson, I'm not sure if we're going to be seeing that again th- this season, for example. Um, and so you combine those two things and it just gets really out of hands. And th- that's what makes it so frustrating is like, you know, if you have one or the other, okay, but two of them coming together, it makes it like somewhat of a bloodbath, which is, I think, where kind of where we're at today, which is why people are so frustrated about the situation. Yeah, I think it's fine to admit the Knicks had a lot of shots, but it's you can also admit that the Bucks' defense and the scheme itself was exploited and they didn't play as well defensively as we know they can play. I think both of those things can be true, but it didn't help that Milwaukee's offense completely cratered in the second quarter. Part of that is the bench not chipping in. Part of that is Milwaukee not able to get shots because, like I said, you see the second half when in the third quarter, especially when Milwaukee was going on that mini run to kind of slim the lead they were getting a lot of points in the paint and a lot of free throws. So it at least showed that offensively they figured it out enough to get themselves in the game, but then it was just defensively they couldn't get two stops in a row. Yeah, and to your point earlier, Kyle, about the wide open threes, I mean, that is, that is, uh, it's, it it's, you know, that is systemic. That is part of what Bud's system has chosen to do. So if you look at the numbers last year, they gave up 20.9 wide open threes, which is basically per NBA.com, closest defender is six plus feet away. That was the most in the league. 20.9 was the most in the league. If you look at percentage, that's so it's basically 54% of the opponent's total three-pointers that they shoot are wide open. Now, like you said, there's been lots of lots of talk about how that is you know, that's, that's part of the plan. They allow them to be the break, above the break. They're for poor shooters. And now the other thing you can say is that we have seen that basically that system work in a couple other places. Boston, we've seen it work as one of the best defenses. Toronto, but those places, the opponents shoot a lot worse than they do against the Bucs. I don't, I, I have not figured out how to square that. I don't know exactly what the reason is. I feel like I've heard other much smarter basketball people not give like super valid reasons for why Toronto is like way, way, way better. Maybe they're just way better at closing out. Maybe the, you know, Nick nurse has them, you know, more disciplined or whatever. Uh, and they, they probably aren't as adherent to whatever scheme it is. The strict scheme, obviously like Bud is, but uh, I mean, that is a systemic part of Bud's system. It's going to continue to probably be that way if he keeps relying on the zone drop scheme. Um, so, you know, they have to try and find other solutions, one of which is be better at the rim this year, which they haven't been. I mean, they were world, they were the, one of the best teams ever at defending the rim last year, and they haven't been able to compensate for the amount of threes that they give up. So, yeah. I have another question. Yeah. I, it's just, it was a frust. I think because it's the Knicks, that made it more frustrating because it's like this team is not good. So that when you're doing this poorly, it's a not good team. If this was opposite and say, like, Warriors were the one that shot 60% from the floor. And then you turn around and blow up the Knicks. I don't think we would have this panic. I think everyone would have accepted, okay, you give someone like Seth Curry a bunch of threes. He's going to drain them. It is what it is. Like, if you start giving Golden State these open looks, then we would say that's Steve Kerr's offense running at his peak. That's Seth Curry being the greatest shooter. That's whatever. But because it was the inverse and we let the Knicks do this against the Bucs while the Warriors were going to struggle, then everyone's sounding off the panic alarm, then the frustrations get higher. So I think that's there's also context in terms of the opponents as well. I have another question for you guys from this game. Uh, does this seem like our guard rotation sucks like 
a lot more than it did last year. Like, I know that's kind of going in, but I think this last game really drove home how uh, how bad the rotation could be. So, like, you know, we're, we, we start with Drew and Dante. Okay, so Drew, I think, is an obvious upgrade. Dante, really good start to the season. I'm still somewhat skeptical as to whether or not starting shooting guard is his most ideal role. I still think probably coming off the bench uh, would be a better depth piece for that. But when you're comparing, so then you go past them, right? So DJ Augustine, pure point guard, uh, he has his limitations, but I think he's so different stylistically that in theory, at least he should be, you know, at least a, a net neutral move if you're able to utilize him. And then Pat Connaughton, uh, you know, the $15, $15 million man. I feel like it's unfair to call him that because he's not actually making that every year. But it's a lot more funny if you make it sound like that. So we're just going to call him the $15 million man. And then Bryn Forbes, who, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people like, oh, well, he's just here to be like the Kyle Korver role, which is true. Uh, and Kyle Korver got like a lot of minutes. So I, I don't know. It just feels like – and then you get past that. I mean, Sam Merrill uh, – you know, Jordan Wara. <laughs> what? What? Just, you get past that. Sam yeah. Merrill, 60th pick. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just uh, the depth is, it was not going to be there, but I think this game in particular, Bobby Portis, his 4.17 point outing aside, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really going to be driven home in these first couple weeks. And then, especially as the season goes on, how much shallower this benches versus last year now part of that is also because tory craig is deep in the doghouse or has no actual role on this team as of yet and so that's a free agent acquisition who's not really getting a lot of play but there's just i mean you're just looking at the bench these three games is like you know i mean we're gonna have to rely on the starters a lot which is fine that's probably ideal because we need to force boonholzer to play his starters more anyhow um but i don't know i i guess the Knicks game really drove home how bad the bench is and is probably going to be for most nights. And I'm not sure what they're going to do to correct that, if anything. Uh, and if they don't do anything to correct it early, early, early in the season, not a great return, especially for, for hoping that this will be something to help us in the postseason eventually. Yeah, I think it's uh, with the guard rotation, it's a whole different stylistic change because last year you have Eric Bledsoe, who in the regular season, you know, he's able to drive to the hoop. He's able, he's kind of the, I'm going straight to the rim and I hope for, and I can either get a layup, I throw a pass, whatever, but I'm going straight to the rim. And you replace that with Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday is kind of the, I can get to the rim. I can also take this mid range. I can also shoot this three. I can also get the ball out of my hands. Like he just offers more. So we get an upgrade on Drew Holiday, but then you have Wes Matthews where, He's more that I'm going to camp onto the three-point line, but I can also defend anybody in Dante who's more the I can do a little bit of everything, which can help the starters, but that's what made Dante so valuable off the bench is you have this guy off the bench that can do all of these things where he's not great at anything, but he's able to chip in. And I think moving Dante, uh, promoting Dante to the starting lineup took that away from the bench. And then when you look at George Hill versus DJ Augustine, those are two different players. George Hill can run a pick and roll. George Hill can be a playmaker, but he's kind of more that I can get I can get to the hoop or I can shoot this three, nothing really in between. While with DJ Augustine, he can still take the three off the dribble, but he can also effectively run a side pick and roll with Giannis. He can run, he can make more of those passes that no one else on the Bucks can. And then so I think that's kind of the issue 
is you lose Wes Matthews, so you move up Dante, and now you lose one more piece, and now you're relying more on Pat Connaughton, who, again, if Pat Connaughton was on a minimum contract, I don't think it would be as much of a problem, but he's making $15 million, so now it's, you're getting paid $15 million, you have to play like you're a $15 million player, and you're not. I think that's also the issue. Pat Connaughton is not playing up his contract, which we knew was going to happen, and unless Sam Merrill gets more minutes, or if Bryn Forbes becomes more of a dead-eye shooter. I don't think we're really going to see that, and I think that's more because in the regular season, it's not going to matter, but it's more in the playoffs where hopefully you get 38 38 minutes plus from Drew. You get 35 minutes from Dante, and you can just only rely on DJ Augustine in terms of your guard rotation because you can, if you need to have more ball handlers, you can kind of go with Chris. You can go with Giannis, even if that's not the best utilization for Giannis. You can do it. You have Chris. So come playoff time, it's not as necessary to have as deep of a guard rotation on the bench because you realistically would only go with Drew, DJ, and Dante. couple thoughts on the bench. Uh, I think Kyle, Kyle laid out all the good points. I mean, when we're swapping out those players, <clears throat> I mean, last year you had two potential – fringe six-man-of-the-year candidates coming off the bench in Dante DiVincenzo and George Hill. Highly doubt we'll get any... Uh, Zach Lowe mentioned him on a podcast for six-man-of-the-year. That's all I'm all saying. Right. I'll happened. believe you. That's all it, right. It, it happened. Uh, anyway, I mean, this year, you're not going to have that. I mean, it, look, in Pat Connaughton's defense for the New York Knicks game, he goes 0-5 from three. He hits one of those. He's three for eight from the field, one of five from three. And he also had... He did have three rebounds and one assist, and, like, Bryn Forbes played more minutes than him. And if you look at him, he's basically like a trillion beyond him shooting. Oh, four, zero rebounds, zero assists. Like the one thing you can say about some of the guards and wings that the Bucks have brought in the last couple of years is they're good. They're usually good rebounders. Like Sterling Brown was a good rebounder, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I think that's semi-important in it for a team that prides itself on defensive rebounding. Uh, I think Forbes is going to have to find his way. He, you know, the thing that the thing that strikes me about this team is it doesn't – it felt like Bobby Portis was kind of going to be that guy who maybe could go get you a basket, especially if Bud is going to still do a little bit of all-bench lineups. But, like, if DJ Augustine isn't going to make a jump shot, I don't really trust him because the few times I have seen him go to the basket, it seems like he gets swat, swatted away pretty easily. So he's not going to be able to just go get you a bucket that way. DJ Wilson is a player. Bobby Portis <laughs> – he, uh, he, he actually breathes. He can breathe on the court. That's what he yeah. does. He is physically there. <laughs> Pat, Pat Connaughton obviously can't create his own shot. He can sometimes do some stuff off dribble, but if he's not making threes, he's not useful. Bryn Forbes is not so far, has not been the sort of dead-eye shooter that we were hoping, and he doesn't bring a whole lot in terms of on-ball skills that you would expect from him. So, you know, even just thinking back to last year, like I kind of – George, we were spoiled by George Hill shooting like 46%. You expected him to get a bucket, at least, you know, call the bleeding or whatever – he could also drive to the basket potentially. Dante's a guy who was coming off the bench who could potentially get you a basket bucket. Robin Lopez, for all of his inability in the postseason, he could sometimes get you a bucket. So we're going to see a lot of difficult stuff when the bench is when when buds go in this deep onto the bench. We're going to see some tough stuff from these guys, especially early in the year. So clearly, they still have to take quite a bit of time to get their sea legs. But overall, obviously, clearly, Kyle and I agree with your point Riley about the bench being a little tough my only two other takes before I mean, we... just play Pat Connaughton, that would help 
It's tough because, I mean, it's him or Forbes, right? So, like, the, the two more takes that I have on this topic before we talk more about, like, any other big takeaways was, like, one, I find it interesting that so far, it's not surprising because it's early in the season, but the fact that Budenholzer isn't doing a lot of, like, keeping Giannis or Chris or Drew out there. Now, he did a little bit in the Warriors game. He has part and parcel. But as people have said, much to their chagrin, he has run all bench lineups. And I think, as we just discussed, the drop-off in the talent quality of the bench from last year to this year is too massive to be able to... I mean, even in the past, it's like, oh, it's Chris and a couple dudes. I'm like, we're kind of white-knuckling it a little bit. Like, we're going to... You know, George is out there that helps, but you're still a little so-so on it. And so now if you're doing all bench and it's like DJ Augustine and like a bunch of guys who are relatively one dimensional, that's going to be problematic. And so that kind of leads into when you think about Pat Connaughton, when you think about Forbes, when you think about Dante, those like shooting guards, that guard core. I said before the season that because Dante is more valuable doing a bunch of stuff, maybe his lower usage being the fifth guy, it'll be kind of offset. Like, Oh, he's not as helpful in that role. I wonder if the op- if it would also be true if it's literally just him as like one of the main bench guys and then four other one-dimensional dudes. I mean, that would not help him either because Dante is good at doing stuff, but he's not good at doing stuff when he's like the main fulcrum around which like the offense especially runs. And so I, I think Boonholzer's in a in between a rock and a hard place because you could you know maybe have Forbes out there. Maybe he's just the shooter guy. He does like the West thing, but he's bad defensively. And Dante's not as helpful if you have to have him out there for like relatively one-way guys. And so, I, I don't know. It's just hard to really parse out, especially very early, small sample size, what the right mix is going to be. I think all bench lineups are probably not where it's at, but I think Budenholzer is also still has in his mind a little bit of like minute load management, things like that. So there's, there's just a lot of different plates that he's trying to balance right now. And unfortunately, we've seen that hurt us, especially in the next game. We'll kind of probably see it hurt us throughout the season as well. Yeah, I didn't notice that much bench-only lineups in the Boston and Knicks game that was detrimental to the Bucks. Obviously, Golden State was an exception because that game was a blowout. But at least it seems like Budenholzer hasn't done it as frequently as he did last year. So that is a positive. It seems as though he's trying to make sure that at least, like you said, Riley, one of Giannis Drew or Chris is on the court. I, I also think it's just tough when you look at this bench and – you know, how many of these guys do you truly rely to be able to do more than one thing? I would say, Don, like, out of the bench guys, maybe Jordan Mora, maybe DJ Wilson, maybe Bobby Porter. Like, both of the guys I think of are like, maybe they can do more than just one thing. Like, DJ Augusty can't do anything other than maybe a pick and roll with a pull-up three. You know, Pat Connaughton can't do anything, you know. I'm trying to like even just thinking about it. It's tough trying to see with this bench where you're going to get the production. And I think when they made this wholesale change, it was with the intent of we don't need you to score a lot of points. We just need you not to allow a lot of points. But Milwaukee is still doing that. So let's let's move on because there is a player who I think could tie into the who could be someone who could provide a little bit of offense to some of those bench units. And that's Brooke Lopez, who thus far this season, I think is still struggling to kind of find his identity on this team. I was just pulling up some of his stats before this. He's had a career low 12.1% usage. That's like basically Tony Snell level stuff. Uh, <laughs> last year he was at around like 18. He's, he's shooting like five. He's averaging like five at 5.4, you know, field goal attempts per game. 
He's had seven points, eight points, and six points. So it's been a really quiet start to the season for him. Riley, what do you think Lopez needs to do to kind of find his role in this offense where it feels like Drew is trying to find his role too and and Dante is eating a little bit more? How do you think he's going to find his role? I think the best way for him to find his role is with one of the other 29 teams in the NBA because it might be time to move on from Brooke. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be mad if they – Sold high on Brooke, to be perfectly honest. I think it's been a fun ride for two seasons, but we might be coming to the end of the line. Yeah. <sighs> so his thing is like being the three-point guy, which is cool. And um, I mean, sorry, did you say, did you say what his three-point percentage? So again, super small sample size, but it's been so it's, far. It, it looks like it's at about 18%. Okay, so not really great. Uh <laughs> <laughs> On like 2.3 attempts per game. So small amount. Small and and amount. I think he, he was pretty hot and cold last season as well. It, it, over the course of the season, he ended up co- coming back within like his mid-30s or so from three. So I would think, in theory, he'll kind of get back to that. Find his role in the offense. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think he is probably taking a step back while especially Drew, Chris, and Giannis figure out what their balance is. I think he understands that. somebody uh, as part of the starters has to take a hit to their usage. And he's again, relatively in the way that he's used pretty much a specialist. And so how he gets more involved in the offense, that's just gotta be, I don't know if it's like a mentality thing and, or we continue to try and see like yesterday during the next game, when I tuned in, it was like Brooke Lopez and a bunch of bench dudes. I was like, this is strange, but maybe you could have like Brooke is the fulcrum of the offense. And like, that's, Totally different from what we do the rest of the time, but in theory, he's a skilled inside-outside big man, so that's not the end of the world. So maybe it's something like that where when I say I want to see a starter on the floor, I don't necessarily always mean Brooke Lopez and a bunch of bench guys. (laughs) However, if he's going to be out there, it's not like he's a center who's completely incapable of doing something anywhere on the floor. Like he's, you know, in theory, relatively skilled. And so finding his way back in that's just got to be probably more so the coaching staff putting him in position because he, he doesn't strike me as the type is like i'm gonna get mine uh he's too nice of a guy he fits in well he knows what his role is and so it's going to be up to the coaching staff to either deprive the talent around him or set things up schematically to be like you're going to either we're going to free you up you're going to have more opportunities where you just walk up into a three or we're going to find ways to put you closer to the rim to do something a little bit different, which I think would be helpful for both him and for the team overall, just to give him a slightly different look, as we've discussed ad nauseum for months now. Yeah, I think it's weird because you're one of Brooke. He was this sharpshooter that completely opened up the offense and made Milwaukee's offense look so much better. And then in year two, he has his shooting struggles, but his defense is so, so good that Milwaukee all of a sudden has this great defense with his own drop scheme, et cetera. And I feel like with this year, it's kind of trying to find out which Brooke Lopez we're trying to get more out of. Are we trying to get the defense? Because we now have Drew, who's more offensively capable and more assuring than Bledsoe was, maybe that we don't need Brooke to be the offensive force that he was in year one. We need him to be like year two, where defensively he's going to hold it down and make this system work. It's going to create a lot of the shots, which allows Malkin to go on a fast break. But maybe depending on, you know, Giannis's struggles, and now you don't have Wes Matthews, who's another three-point shooter, so it makes it a little bit difficult. Do we try and focus? I know Boone will say we're going to try and be a little – 
throw more variety and get Brooke more involved. So maybe that's just something that takes a couple games for things to set in. I don't know. I think I'm not worried about shooting because that's going to even itself out. Maybe he might have a down year and a down year for him might be 32, 33%, which isn't terrible. Um, But defensively, it seems like, I don't know if it's teams being able to exploit it better or just general malaise on the defensive end, but it seems like defensively he's had more of a struggle. That's more alarming than his offense because his offense, at least he's getting the shots. They're normally wide open. They're just not falling. I can live with that. But defensively, it seems like he's not affecting shots at the rim like Adam was saying earlier, and that's an issue because if Brook Lopez doesn't play that defensive level that we're accustomed then it's kind of more of a question of, well, this defense won't work. And then what value does he really have? Yeah. I mean, he was a more plus defensive player last year than he was a plus offensive player uh, for, for the whole year, which was a fascinating turn of events for him. And and so far it, it certainly has not seemed to, to work exactly. You know, it didn't, it hasn't looked quite as smooth as it has in years past. That's for sure. And he's, a, he's I mean, he should know this system better than anyone. He's, really cerebral player. I think it'll get ironed out. It's probably tough. I mean, I would expect it to look better than it has a little bit with the starters. Um, and I haven't looked at the numbers. So like it's very well possible that the numbers look, look fine, but I test it hasn't looked super great. And then also he has to kind of account for players like Bobby Portis potentially, uh, or, you know, DJ Wilson as his help side guy, which doesn't always, you know, make for the best help side defense. It, it it's tough for me with Lopez. I I can't tell. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wish we, I wish he was someone who I don't know who he has chemistry with on the team. Like I guess Giannis because he'll just like trail behind Giannis and he'll shoot that. But you know how like a couple years ago we had the whole like Brog Rowe thing. It was a whole bench thing. It was Greg Monroe. He had some he had some chemistry with Malcolm Brogdon. Like I don't know if every time I think about well maybe Brooke could get some like chemistry with DJ Augustine or something. I think, well, maybe they'd be better served by just having Giannis create really good chemistry with DJ Augustine. Theoretically, that's going to be a more potent combination anyway in the long run. So I don't know, but I Brooke, had, Brooke can score inside. He can score outside. I would just like to find see if he can find like some sort of chemistry, find the lineup that works with him where he can do something potentially beyond just being a, a spacer. Uh, Cause it does feel like even if he's, even if he's working his inside game, the few times where he like looks kind of dynamic as an offensive player, he's not like working pick and roll with someone. He's like doing some, one of those weird pump fakes where he does the, the slowest, uh, you know, turnaround jumper on earth and somehow making it like he seems to be, he, he's like kind of like a, could be a one man offensive weapon, but it doesn't seem to like work super well within a system beyond give me the ball in the post or give me the ball outside. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I mean, just like looking at, again, with all these things, small sample size, but like his, so he's shooting 35% of his shots are coming from within three to 10 feet of the basket. That's like almost triple the amount from previous seasons. Um, His three-point attempt rate is like quite a bit down from previous years, but I also should note that like his true shooting is better so far this season than it was last year. Uh, And his field goal percentage overall is the highest it's been since he came to Milwaukee. And so I think maybe if we looked, went into like the play types and everything, we'd probably see that he is moving more within the, like closer to the basket a lot more so far this season. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but because that's so radically different from him just being a spacer, like you said, Adam, and probably also trying to figure out, like, he's probably doing a lot of that on his own, like set up and just go to work rather than like work with somebody else. Um, And so that's promising that he's still shooting well when he's getting the ball, especially close to the basket, because I think that would be a net positive. It's just a matter of, like I said, I think a lot of it's probably going to be ironing out the kinks and if we got rid of him, if we like traded him for somebody else, we definitely would need another big of some sort because Bobby Portis cannot be the starting center. And so it, it's kind of a matter of will he has to figure it out because we have nobody else to figure it out with. Uh, there's no other, nobody else is coming off the street to help fill in his role. And so um, if that comes at the expense of him taking a longer time to get up to speed or whatever, or deferring to other guys who are getting acclimated, and then that's at the end of the world. I think it's just glaring because he's been so poor from three, and we've been coached, and he has been coached since the moment he got here of like, he's the three-point guy. He's the seven-footer who takes like 35-foot jump shots. And, you know, as much fun as that is, uh, you know, if there's a slight change to his role, that's probably for the best for both him and for the team overall if it ends up paying off you know, down the line a little bit. Yeah, one last takeaway I just want to touch on briefly. So it struggles in air quotes here, but Giannis has had 35 points, 27 points, and 15 points, but it hasn't It hasn't felt like he's been full, fully Giannis. So it, what have you made of, of his season so far, Kyle? I think Giannis is, I don't want to say, because struggle seems harsh because he was relatively fine in the Celtics game. In the limited minutes of the next game, he was relative, he's been relatively fine. But because we know what Giannis is and what we've expected, relatively fine just hasn't been good enough. You know, I think that's the issue. He's done a lot of dumb things. In like the Celtics game, his charge is while frustrating because Marcus Smart keeps drawing the charge. It's like there are times where Giannis just ran into the guy. It's like you did not have to do that. There's times where Giannis takes, you know, a pull-up three or an early shot clock three. It's like that didn't seem like the best choice you could have made considering your skill set. You know, Golden State, I'm just going to attribute to it. It was just not his day. And he still got, you know, a bunch of points because getting to the free throw line and making those free throws was helpful. It, I think it's just more things just having – he's still doing fine. Like he's still doing better than – 99% of players it's just that the level that he has established is so much higher that it seems like he's not achieving them and I think that's really the biggest issue I don't know if I'd say he's struggling more so he's just not hitting the standards that we have been so accustomed to seeing him hit the last two years is he one of those guys where you pay him a super max and he just he stops caring is that what we're are we worried about that <laughs> I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that take to be coming. That's coming down the pipe. Don't you worry about that. Uh, Giannis struggles to start the season. Um, I think I'm probably getting to a point now where I, I'm becoming more critical of him as an individual because um, not because he's not a good player and not because three games is like oh he's going to be really crappy from here on out. However. At the end of the day, if we believe Budenholzer and Budenholzer says, I just let them do whatever the F they want out there 80% of the time, okay, that means Giannis has total free range of motion to make whatever decision with the ball that he wants. If that is the case, 
it is a somewhat damning indictment that he still believes that the run into dude strategy is like his best go-to move, which to be fair against a lot of teams, that is his best go-to move because <laughs> he's like a more fluid Shaquille O'Neal. So like, you know, that's tough to give up. However, like Kyle said, you know, if it's like Marcus Smart, a guy who is significantly smaller than whom's guarding him, in that case, or like any sort of situation where it's like either the wall or you're starting to post some guy up or whatever, he's so used to doing the brute force thing and that has worked for him for so well for so long. And he's and he's really good at it. He's like this few guys in the league right now who are as good at that as he is. But he seems so reticent to do anything other than that, whether that be like, you know, some sort of post move, whether that be like a turnaround jumper. And we know he could do it. We've seen him do it. We saw him last year. I remember very vividly in the Lakers game last year when he did the crown thing or whatever, he hit the threes. Okay. I don't like the fact that he was doing the stupid, like pull up jumpers, like in transition, let's stop doing that. But he was able to do that. And there were multiple possessions where like, it's getting close. Giannis gets somebody. I don't know if it might've even been LeBron that he isolated on the wing like baseline and he turn around jumper it and it was like a critical moment or whatever like he's able to hit that shot he feels confident going to that shot why not it, it should be up to him to do that more often it saves him the effort of having to like plow through four dudes every single possession um or if you don't feel comfortable doing that he has to be willing to look for his teammates as well a little bit more whereas i think he has a little bit of eric bledsoe syndrome where he commits so much to whatever that first move is that is it, it I don't expect him to become like a crisp passer because at this point it just doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing, but I don't know. It, it's part of it is I think other teams figuring him out, but I think a lot of it is him limiting himself because he continues to spam the same move over and over. Like how many times did he try to spam the spin move around Marcus smart? And how many times did that not work? Literally every single time. How many times does that, you know, it, it if you have like some bum defender, okay, that's one thing. But against guys who know that it's coming, they will they will stay home for that, and they will either draw a charge or other guys will come in the help defense or whatever. And so he's making it harder than it needs to be on himself. And I'm not sure what that is. And I I hope if this continues to be a thing, it doesn't get in his head. Instead, it's more so what are other things I can do that are different from just charging to make things easier on myself and on my teammates. That's my main takeaway early on is like, yes, he's struggling. Yes, he's still putting up a lot of good numbers. But hopefully any sort of early troubles will force him to be like, what are some more creative, crafty ways I can be involved? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll see what the end result is. But and at the end of the day, I'm not worried about it. I think he'll work into it. It's just how does he get about working into it? And I think in the two games that Milwaukee's lost, he's turned the ball over more because of those offensive fouls. So <laughs> if Giannis does a better job at taking care of the ball slash not picking up fouls, because he got into foul trouble against the Knicks, which hurt Milwaukee early on, and then he's drawing, what, three offensive fouls in a quarter against the Celtics. It's just kind of like what you're saying, right? Like the plowing into this is not helpful, and I think he's also – I don't want to say he's trying to do too much, but it feels as though he's not letting things come as naturally to him as it has before. Kind of like with Middleton, he's Middleton's going with the flow, and you saw it on Christmas Day, Giannis is like, just give it to Middleton and he's going to make it. Let's give him the ball more. While Giannis is kind of like he's trying to make that happen for himself. Does... Which normally you want to do because he is the one of the best players in the league. You do that, but... Sometimes when push comes to shove, maybe defer a little bit more. 
does he look worse because he doesn't have a a foot shorter version of himself in the starting lineup. Like, is every like in the past, it could be like, Oh, it's, there's goes Giannis and Eric. They're just doing their thing. They're just copycats, except one's a foot taller than the other. <laughs> and now you have like, especially the contrast between Drew and Chris and Giannis drew how patient he is on ball how like he watches the floor the entire time and if he recognizes it's time for him to get a shot he goes for it immediately chris very similar like you said kyle we haven't given enough of a shout out to chris excellent start to the season he's looked really good everybody's struggling against the knicks but like in the first two games excellent excellent great from chris and again you see him in the flow making quick decisions he gets a little space he gets his shot off or he's looking to make the pass and then you have Giannis is like all right let's just see if we can just ram through <laughs> ram through this possession isn't he tired of like getting called for charges i would be tired of getting called for charges i would do something different just because i'm tired of like ending up on the floor and getting called for <laughs> and turning the ball over well it's like it's marcus smart you know he's gonna flop like stop like don't do like you know it's Marcus Smart, so why are you continuing to do this? It's it's like you, you keep if you keep playing this game, you, you got you're gonna have to learn that it's not going to work. You're going to have to F around and find out the hard way when something is gonna happen and everyone knows it but you. Well, I, I think he's so used to like proving his points and being like, I you know, I was in the right by just literally slamming through dudes and like especially if like he knocks over Marcus Smart a bunch of times gets called for a charge, but that one time he doesn't get called and he could just yam one home. I'm sure that has to be like the best. I can't dunk, but if I could, I'm sure that would be the best feeling in the world. And so like, I'm sure there's a whole complex of why it is he plays the way he does. And again, it works really well. I don't want to take away from that. However, hopefully there can be now that we're this many years into his career, now that he's gotten the super max extension, he has to worry about that, has the two MVPs. Now we can see a little bit more growth as he continues to mature into his NBA career, which I... You know, if that comes with some growing pains early on, then so be it. It's a long season. We have time to work through that. Yeah, I don't have much more to add on Giannis. I mean, the only thing I would say is, I mean, if Giannis can shoot 5.5 three-pointer attempts per 36 minutes like he did last year and Chris can be at like 6.7, what are we doing here? Like, just just, <laughs> just lower it down a little, Giannis. And I, I know, Chris, you should definitely – Chris, just do what you want to do. Go in, shoot your twos, do your thing, but just just tamp it down a little, Giannis. Because if we're asking Bud to to, to practice diversifying what the Bucks' offerings are this season, we need to see the same from you. We've seen some turnaround jumpers, we've seen some mid post shots, but you you got to do it on a consistent basis. Otherwise, you're going to keep ramming into people. And the most troubling thing about the Marcus Smart stuff is there's a reason he's like first team all defense, but. He read exactly where Giannis was going. He knew exactly which which directions he was going to go to. Like he, he, he had studied tape, and he knew exactly where Giannis was going to go. I'm not worried about Giannis, but I want to see a little bit of different stuff from you. Stop. In the Boston game, Giannis took the same amount of free throws as he did threes. That should never happen. <laughs> okay, that's all, we, that's all we need to say about Giannis. It's too early. It's it's too early. Okay, before we really briefly just I ask you both about Miami. What did we think of the Cream City jerseys on the floor in action? How wet did the numbers look on Christmas Day? What did we think? Cream City or you mean the Blue City? Are they called Cream City? Blue City. No, Blue City. The Blue City, the Wave. What are they called? Like the Milwaukee Wave edition jerseys? What are they? I don't even. The City edition jerseys. I don't know what they call it because I stopped caring the second I saw it. <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? I mean, they look better when they're on the players, but like they still don't look good. 
like the, the Bucks put on a tweet saying top two city jerseys is not two. It's like, are you on drugs? This is bottom two, pop. No. <laughs> How can you see what the Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs and I'm trying to think, those are the two that come in my mind in top two, and they're not two. Milwaukee's nowhere close. So do not, no, they're still not good, but they look better when they're on, you know, and built NBA players on a court, but they're still not, I, I still don't like them. I thought they looked better. I, I agree. They look better on the players. I still don't like the light blue on the top. Uh, love the shorts still. Really hope they put those for sale. Bucks PR, I know you're listening. Put those on sale, please. I'll give you my money. Uh, change the court. Let's get a blue court, please. The green on blue. What are, what are we? NCAA, like Division three here or something? Let's step it up. You got literally unlimited money. Unlimited money. Let's make a better court. Fair enough. I, I was really quickly looking for a, a custom city edition jersey so I could stick a Dante DiVincenzo on the back, but that they don't have custom. They only have Middleton and, and Giannis, It'll come. Don't so worry. Your fine. time will come. Give it a month. Give it a month. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool. Okay. So the Bucks are about to do a back-to-back home, home and home, but a different sort of home and home because it's Miami's home the whole time. Uh any excitement over this matchup, Riley? The the, uh, the Heat obviously bounced the Bucks last year in the playoffs. Do you have any excitement over these impending two games? My only excitement is because I thoroughly expect us to lose both because that is the way the universe <laughs> rolls, and I would just, oh, man, people are going to be on fire after that. The only excitement I have is do Jordan Wara or Sam Merrill get caught at one of the clubs in Miami? Because I believe, I checked, I Googled multiple times, Miami Herald, everything down there. The nightclubs are still open. I just want to see, do one of them get caught on somebody's Instagram? That's what I'm excited about. The wins and losses, that's a, that's a wash to me, man. It'll be interesting to see how Drew Holiday does against this Heat defense because – this is why you get Drew Holiday is to break down this quote unquote wall to, you know, counter whatever Miami can throw at you and you have a more adept point guard. So I'll be interested to see how Drew Holiday handles it. I'm also wondering how much rotation Bud is going to do because it is a back to back. So is he going to, you know, play the starters and Bobby Portis and Pat and DJ a lot of minutes in game one. And then game two, you're going to see a lot more Sam Merrill. You're going to see a lot more Jordan. Like how, how much rotation is Bud going to do in these two games? Because I don't think it's realistic for the bunch, for the bench to have a lot of minutes. So how much of that is going to change and how many, how much is going to be a variety in at least game, especially in game two. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm curious to see, Drew against Dragic. I know I think he's in the I think he's in the bench lineup now, but Dragic was an absolute monster against the Bucks. Tore us up in in pick and roll, hit a hit a ton of shots. So very curious to see how how they do against that. How Giannis responds because he looked really poor in all of those games besides Game Four before he went out with an injury. So we really didn't see good Giannis for much at all of that series. So should be an interesting two games. Uh, I'm very curious to see how the Bucks do. But for now, we're going to take a real quick break, and on the other side of this. We are going to do our miscellaneous topics, so stay tuned. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. 
And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, we're back. I got some rapid fire for you guys. Pull up my notebook here. Okay. First one. Uh, did you mix sodas as a child? Duh. Yes. <laughs> of course, yes. Well, what were your go-tos? So at Rockies, they had Dr. <laughs> Pib. They had, I don't know if Dr. Pib is Pepsi or Sprite, but pretty much any, like if they have like this, not Pepsi or, Pepsi or Coke, I would mix the Coke products, I'd mix the Pepsi products. You know, I would... Most of it would revolve around a Sprite slash Sierra Mist and a Coca-Cola, Dr. Pib, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, whatever. I would do very similar to Kyle. The only thing is I would add in some sort of fruity soda as well. So it could be like an orange Fanta. It could be a, uh, you know, if I was really desperate, it could be like the fake high C. I mean, high C is already fake, but like the extra fake coming out of the machine high C. So I tossed a little something like that in there, but very similar. And also, uh, in Germany and slash Europe's, they have Coke and orange is a very common mix that you do. They actually, it's, they already come pre-mixed. And so that's a pretty good combo that I would go with that as well. Cool. What is the, what was the, what is the purpose of that? Is it just to do a different flavor? Purpose of what? Mixing them up? Mixing sodas. Yeah. It's, it's because I think for anybody who goes to like, I think of Culver's, that's what comes to my mind. I go to Culver's, I'm like, you know what? We're getting wild tonight. I'm 12 years old. <laughs> my parents aren't supervising. Let's just start mixing them. You know, you, you, there's a certain level of curiosity in all humanity that I think really, it comes out at that point when you're faced with the line of 10 different types of sodas. Like, what if I mixed them? Nobody's going to stop me. When you're... When you are a teenager and either you have a car or someone else has a car and you go to a fast food place and you can choose whatever drink you want, that's when you decide, let's just mix a few and see what happens Mm -hmm. because you're an immature teenager. Thank you, Bo. I've clearly been – I haven't been a child in far too long. I need to return to that. All right. Next one. You're at Buck's practice. You have to do this for a half hour. Would you rather chase Bryn Forbes around – the arc during a shooting drill or act as Bobby Portis's dummy in the post. Yeah. I'll chase Bryn. Well, ooh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'll be the dummy. That's less running. I would do Bryn Forbes, but it would be embarrassing how quickly I'd be out of breath and like my legs the next day, somebody would have to be carrying me around like I'm Yoda or something because they would just not, not be there any longer. I would do the Bryn Forbes though. I'm not getting knocked around by Bobby Portis. Uh, all right. So if you go to brunch, do you order more of a breakfast type food or more of a, a lunch type food? Breakfast. I do lunch. It, by the time you go to brunch, it's closer to lunchtime. I'm a very early breakfast eater for the most part. And so at that point, I'm like, well, 
you know, I'll get some lunch items. I'm a lunch guy at brunch. I guess when I go to brunch, I'm going for breakfast. Like I'm not, I I'm going for breakfast and it's just so happy to be close to lunchtime. I'm not, <laughs> I don't go out for lunch. I go out for breakfast. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Next one. You have to pick a player from your alma mater. Kyle, I'll let you maybe pick Wisconsin if you want. But they like, uh, from Eau Claire, like maybe a D three athlete. Yeah. They they have they have to be on they sign a lifetime contract with the Bucks. They're on there for the duration of the time. Any any suggestions on who on who you any anyone who would you pick? Kyle, you can go first. I would say well actually Devin Harris. I was like, wait, why am I making this is a lot easier than it should be. Devin Harris. So I think that's the right answer. Yeah, you guys talk some more Badger basketball. I'm looking right now because I don't know anybody from the, <laughs> from the Gophers. <laughs> like, oh yeah, from your alma mater. I was like, I don't know anyone well, Claire that has even been like all conference, let alone having a shot at the pros. <laughs> Well, I, I didn't mean to exclude Eau Claire. If you know anyone, they are welcome to sign a lifetime contract with the Bucks. If we could do any, wasn't Terry Porter like a D three player, or did he? Coach? Oh, yeah. yeah. So if I had to do a D three player, I would do Terry Porter. But if I had to do Wisconsin, I'll do, uh, I'll, I'll pick Devin Harris. Um, looking through the list of prior NBA players who came from Minnesota, uh, the ones that jump out to me are Joel Prisbilla, uh, just for that size. <laughs> um, so Tyus Jones. Okay. That's interesting. Um, John Luer is on here. Is there a different John Luer from the Badgers John Luer? Players that were from Minnesota, like the state. Uh, I think Prisbilla played at University. You know what? Yeah, you're right. You're a hundred percent right. Okay. I got thrown up. Well, you can well, so the only other person that really jumps out, and this is for all the old heads out there, Kevin McHale is probably the most accomplished uh, player who ever came oh, through the yeah. University of Minnesota. So if you gave me young McHale, I don't know. I've literally never watched a highlight of him before in my life. But assuming he's good because people say he's good uh, and I can get him in the start of his career, I'll take Kevin McHale, sure. Perfect. Okay. This next one. Would you rather have lifetime seats at the very top row of the buck stadium for the rest of your life or box seats at your local uh at at like a local minor league baseball team for the rest of your life so so you're talking either nosebleeds for the bucks or box seats for a cruddy team yeah i would say so it's tough because baseball is a sport that's enjoyed a lot more outdoors than, so I know boxes are like half open, half enclosed or whatever, but I'd probably go for the bucks just because basketball in an arena, it's tough to have a really bad seat, especially, I think I haven't sat up in the nosebleeds too far in the forum, but even then I thought the seats were pretty good. Um, and with baseball, generally you want to be out among the crowd. That's kind of like the half the experience anyhow is like having dudes heckle you for selling you peanuts and stuff like that. So I would do lifetime nosebleeds at the forum uh, just because experience would be better in both cases at each one. Yeah. I've had nosebleed seats at the forum. They're still pretty good. I'll go with that. Also, if I went to a minor league baseball game, I'm getting absolutely hammered <laughs> because I'm incapable of going to a baseball game sober. I don't think that's good for me long-term. Perfect. All right. Last one. Do you have a, do you have a preferred salad dressing? 
it really it changes between Caesar and blue cheese. Uh, it it really I probably vote Caesar though, just because a good Caesar salad, especially when somebody else prepares it. Ooh, it's good stuff. Yeah, I'd say either Caesar or like a vinaigrette. I feel like a vinaigrette can really make a salad taste better. So I go with one of those two. Wonderful. Thank you both. That's all I got. Perfect. All right. Kyle, time for your film review. Yeah. So I watched Soul, uh, the new Disney Pixar movie that just came out on Disney Plus on Christmas. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much because I think it is a fun family movie to watch. Uh, has Tina Fey, has Jamie Foxx, has, I'm trying to think of who else, Angela Bassett. It, it has a pretty good cast as well. I think the story, the story is pretty straightforward and it's a really quick movie. I think it's like 90 minutes, but those 90 minutes really fly by, um, which I enjoy. It's kind of focusing on this guy who's a jazz artist. Um, I'll try and give that much without spoiling the movie, but I just think it was a really enjoyable movie. It's an easy watch especially with disney pixar movies it seems like it's more existential thought-provoking which you know compared to how disney pixar movies were 20 years ago it's definitely a shift but i just thought like if you wanted to watch a movie with your family or you got kids that want to watch it it's a very enjoyable movie i had a good time i thought it was it's just something you could sit down put on watch and go on with it so i had a good time watching it the animation is really good the lighting was really good so I gave it an 8 out of 10. I, I think it's a very enjoyable movie um, if you just want to sit down and watch it with like a kid or your family. I love it. I'm going to check that out. That's definitely on my list. So glad to hear it got a positive review. All right. Yeah, and Wonder Woman came out the same day and no one was saying good things about Wonder Woman. It was, it was a weird contrast. I still have to watch that, but I don't have HBO. So I'll eventually get to it. Riley, Fountain Pen. Quick one this week. We have... Uh... I'm not, I think this might be the first of the Robert Oster care package that came in. So this week we have, let's see if you guys can see, Robert Oster red candy. Um, so now this comes from his holiday pack here. Um, I'm partial to reds when it comes to fountain pen colors. And this one is like a, it's deep. It's got a lot of character to it without being like a burgundy or like a maroon or something like that. It's kind of like a, a little bit darker from the mid tier, but um I don't know. It just it, it has a lot of weight to it. I don't know how to really describe it. But as far as a red, um, very easy on the eyes, especially I've been writing some like longer entries with it or whatever, longer notes. Um, it, it holds really well. It ages really well. So I've been really impressed with it so far. And especially for this time of year, holidays, kind of, you know, wintertime, red, greens, those are kind of what you're going for. And this definitely fits the bill. So uh, from all the, the very first of like my, you know, 20 or 30 Robert Austin's check out this one, thumbs up so far. Wonderful. It really popped on screen. Uh, I like the Okay, I'm glad you guys can see that. I, I realized it was backwards <laughs> once I put it into the stream, but I'll work on that. Yeah, that looked good. All right, let's move on. It's time for our predictions. Let's close it out here. So as we said, there's that back-to-back against Miami in Miami, December 29th and 30th. And then the last game that we will predict is Friday, January 1st, home against the Chicago Bulls. All right. Riley, what's your prediction for this week? I think they will go two and one. I think they'll win the second game against Miami just because they're going to be out of their freaking cords, hang out, hung over after the old Monday night in Miami situation. Though I, I trust them to follow COVID protocols, but in case they didn't, wink, wink, I think they're going to get killed on Tuesday. And then Friday, 
Uh, I only recently realized the Bulls are still like god awful. They're a horrible team. I was like looking at the roster. I was like, <laughs> just they're like everyone's like Laurie Markkinen might be an awful player. I'm like, wow, they're really that deep in the rebuilding hole still. So I expect them to win. That didn't work for us with the Knicks, but that I'm hoping Lightning doesn't strike twice against some of the league's worst teams. So two and one this week. I go back and forth between one and two and two and one. I think they'll beat Chicago because Chicago's not a good team. And while the Knicks had a bunch of guys that can kind of hit mid-range shots, I can't see that with Chicago at all. So, because they don't still do they still have Zach Levine? They do, yes. Yeah, they do. Right, well, that's one guy that might go off, but he's also going to take all the shots. So just <laughs> lock in on him and you'll be fine. I'll say two and one as well. I think they come out against Miami on the second game and they'll just shoot lights out. It's going to be one of those where Pat Connaughton goes like four of nine for three. Dante goes like three of five. Chris go like, I feel like that's going to be the game where everyone just starts hitting shots and it's going to be interesting. And again, I wonder how much rotation both Budenholz and Spolster are going to do. So I'll say two and one, they win the Wednesday game. They beat the Bulls. They lose on Tuesday. I'm going to go 3-0. and I feel good about this Miami matchup. Uh, don't have a great reason why, but I just think the Bucks are going to bounce back. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I think they're going to be able to take it. I think Giannis will be motivated. I think Drew will want to you know, make a statement game. And then I think they'll beat the Bulls. So I'm going 3-0. and So a little positivity for this week after a tough loss against the Knicks. So, well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our Bucks coverage, of course. Follow us on Twitter at BrewHoop. Riley uh, debuted a new weekly feature where if you are a loyal commenter on the site, you'll be able to follow all the other NBA games for the week uh, and comment on that thread. So should should be good use if you're a loyal BrewHoop commenter. So go there, check it out. Like us on Facebook, share the podcast with all of your friends, and we will be back to talk to you again soon. 